0: Welcome to Unbooking the Territory as we continue our journey through the highest and lowest TV rated episodes for the Monday Night Wars for each creative period. This week sees Jim Cornette and Vince Russo's lowest rated episode.
1: For those of you who don't know
0: me, my name is Vince Russo and I am... This is typical wrestling. Wrestling, is it? Wrestling? Well, what do you say down there in Kentucky or Tennessee, wherever you come from? Typical wrestling, we Jim Cornette. This York is
1: 1996, York. Jim Cornette. You hear me? People don't want to he hear knows this the anymore. Year. I kept a low profile for two years, but I figured before this business gets deeper in the shitter, Vince Russo better come back. You can boo Change the fact that I'm better than you. This is horrible. This is not something to be laughed at. And I'm going to tell you one thing. I will call my mother.
0: So how are you this week, Dan? I'm fucking annoyed,
1: <laughs> to be perfectly honest. As we're, as we're recording, it's Good Friday. And I'll preface this by saying, I know I shouldn't have done it, but I ordered fish and chips on Good Friday, which, you know, bit of a bit of a daft move. You expect a long wait. I got told at 5 to 7... my fish and chips would be at 25 to 8 fair enough 45 minutes you know 40 minutes fine now normally on just eat they say oh your food's been delayed your food you know they update it now i don't know if this is at the the uh, the chippy's end or just eat's end but basically i've waited by from me ordering it to me uh, taking the
0: first bite it was two fucking hours so i'm annoyed so prepare for some ranting how are you I'm good. I'm good. I, it was a bit of a loaded question. I mean, you'd had a frustrating evening. So I was waiting for the rant. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I've had a good day. There's only one little thing that I've got to rant about. I was sort of thinking, you know, because the only social media I like or believe in or use or whatever is um, Twitter and Untapped. But I was listening to other podcasts and they kept mentioning they're on Instagram. So I thought, better go and uh, snap up the UTT podcast on Instagram. There's another podcast called UTT Podcast that's got the uh, Instagram handle. Oh, get fucked. Under the tree, it's a 420 podcast. No, I'm not having that. It's not allowed.
1: No, no. How dare they? How dare they get there first with a name? We need need to buy them out. (laughs) Yeah.
0: The the, the insult is that on Twitter, there was one with UTT Pod, which was uh, up the toffees for an Everton podcast, but I think that's years ago. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, sorry. Just, uh, that's just the fish
1: and chips repeating on I me, mean, nothing to do with the fact I'm a Liverpool fan. <laughs> so, I don't know. There's going to have to be a hostile takeover. Yeah, I think we need to do it, preferably in, in the March, and we need, to, we need to release an episode of Under the Tree where we just stroll in and take the whole thing over and start yapping about beer instead of weed.
0: Yeah. Or we could talk about um, MSK. They, they seem like they would uh, fit into a treehouse-related story on uh, Under the Tree. I don't think they live in the treehouse
1: anymore, though. I think they've upgraded slightly to, uh, to a warehouse in Florida.
0: <laughs> wow. Let's <laughs> see how it works out for them. Some, sometimes it's the right decision, sometimes it isn't. I hope it is the right decision. They seem, I hesitate saying this about wrestlers these days, but they, they seem all right. They do, and, and we've seen them in um, Trafalgar Warehouse in Sheffield, so I guess it is an upgrade for them going to a warehouse in uh, Florida. From a warehouse to a bigger warehouse, somewhere slightly hotter, that the wind might also try and kill you. It was so funny when Southside ran that first show. Sorry, not Southside. When Rev Pro took over Southside and ran that first show in Sheffield, and they were saying, "Don't go out at uh, intermission because it's too cold," and people in Yorkshire weren't even wearing a coat.
1: <laughs> there was a co- there was a collective moment of silence, and a, and just a, a very low hum as everybody muttered, "What the fuck." <laughs>
0: Uh, oh well, well. Uh, aside from all the rants, we've had some, uh, we've had some reviews slash shout outs since the last episode. So episode two has just gone out in real terms. So it shows you how far behind we are with these recordings. Bang Bang Podcast actually said something nice about us on the podcast. Wonderful. Um, yeah. Got shouted out again on uh, Smack Attack and Chain Wrestling. Fantastic. Yeah. No, very much appreciated. Uh, in terms of Twitter. Murphokin Mark gave us positive feedback, i did uh Lemsip Max, who said we were insightful. Now I've been called a gobshite before, is that similar? <laughs> I've never been called insightful. <laughs> it's, it's I like appreciate you, it. The, it's like when you do those 360 feedbacks at work and you have to like give three words that describe someone or someone has to give three words that describe you. I don't know if I've ever had insightful. I've never I've never been invited to one of them. Oh, you're lucky. I I had to do ten one time. It uh, <laughs> wasn't fun. Steve from Bang Bang Podcast said we'll never make it past Episode 7. Uh, just for context, uh, we're recording Episode 9 at the moment. Uh, he said that Episode 8 was Episode 7, Part 2. Oh, okay. So this is the Fair Part 3, apparently. Yeah. thing
1: I've actually, um, on, on the back of this uh, this Monday morning war that uh, at Scottish Juggler Danny started, uh, tried to fabricate, um, I've actually started listening to Bang Bang podcast now, and I am very much on board with uh, with Steve's beverage choices. He, yeah, uh and, and and right now his grumpiness, I'm I'm very much there with him.
0: Yeah, I don't, I don't know if I've, Andy's burn um, beverage choices are always the best.
1: No, uh, well you know he does. You know he does the uh, he does the positivity about or relative positivity about wrestling, but Steve's definitely got the uh, the superior beverage choice.
0: He has. I was talking about Danny. He said that in the Monday Morning Wars we'd got the pigeon demo and Bang Bang had got the all-important squirrel demo. Although pigeons are basically squirrels with wings, aren't they? I thought there were rats with wings. Well, they're all vermin, so I think we're in the same. As long as we're attracting vermin, then I'm quite happy. Yeah, we're on board with that. And we've had a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Oh, yeah, that was me. It says Mark MC... 316D. Oh, my one ain't not come through yet. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. Although you are a mark. <laughs> Definitely. Superb. So what are you drinking this week, Dan?
1: Well, funny you should mention Bang Bang Podcast, because on the back of their uh, latest episode that came out uh, Monday Just Gone, which at time of recording, I believe, is... Let me get me... I can't remember dates and shit. Uh, the 20, I think it was the 29th of uh, March episode... Uh, I went on Trembling Madness's website, our good friends Trembling Madness that I still keep forgetting to shout out, and I've gone to New Bristol Brewery, and I've ordered their Cinder Toffee Stout, four four uh, percent. So it's not one of the uh, one of the ten percenters because this was the only one that Trembling Madness had in stock. But for a four percenter, it is absolutely bloody delicious. It is it is genuinely like blended Cinder Toffee, but with four percent alcohol. If, if there's an imperial version of this, I fucking need it in my life.
0: Yep. So that, there you go, kids. Um, Steve might uh, just be uh, full of profanities, but he does have uh, good beer recommendations. He's a smart cunt when he wants to be. <laughs> I think this is
1: also that is the first time in nine episodes that I've dropped the C-bomb, and
0: it was just for Steve. Just for Steve. He'll appreciate that. Talking about profanity, I'm drinking a Dutch beer, called Fuck the Caravan Stat Edwink, which is Fuck the Caravans on Fire. Completely brought for the can out. And then later I've got Iceberg Zombie Apocalypse Fruited Stout from Kings County Brewing Collective. Fruited uh, Stout? Oh, Fruited Sour. Oh, I got excited then. <laughs> yeah. No, I think I probably thought it was... Um, hmm, I don't know. It, it's going to be a gamble. I'm not a massive sour fan. Although, Fair enough. Had to go for the can-art, and I did think it was a stout when I picked it up. But that is very good can-art for
1: iceberg. What's iceberg zombie apocalypse? You said iceberg
0: zombie apocalypse.
1: Yeah, I've actually got another beer lined up as well because well I've been drinking before the podcast, and I thought I may as well have two on the go. I've uh, in honour of our first episode uh, getting 100 listens, I've gone for the first beer that Beth recommended, and I've got time travelling taxi lined up. Oh, fantastic! Shows you remember as well, which uh, is a new skill you've picked up. I, w- I wouldn't say remember; it's it's the fact that I, I listened listened to the show again recently to see what it was.
0: <laughs> I actually thought ahead, which is technically a new skill for me. Yeah, we're actually over a hundred now, so I, I don't know if you're going to have to get something to tie in with a number higher than that, but we'll see. I'll, that that's a problem for tomorrow, Dan. Tomorrow, Dan. It's past Dan that keeps causing you all these problems, isn't it? Yeah, past Dan's a a fucker. (laughs) Hits you on the head with a mallet and throws up in your shoes. Yeah, exactly. Wait, did I. No, I've never done. Have I? No, I haven't. I haven't done that. (laughs) I have to double check. I have to double check. You can't remember. And there goes the memory loss. Where am I? (sighs) I know where you are, Dan. You're sitting back and relaxing, as the listeners at home can be. Well, they'll be the virtual Nia Jax and Shayna Baszler, and we'll be the virtual Reginald, and recommend a beer that they should drink while they're watching this episode of Monday Night War in the um, Beer Sommelier section. So what would you recommend? I'm going back to,
1: once again, to my dear, dear friends at Brass Castle, who I will remember to shout out by the time this episode comes out. Uh, and I'm going for Brass Castle Pizzazz. A 4.5% sour-fruited goes, flavoured with sun-dried tomato and basil. Because as I always do, I try to pick a beer that's representative of the episode. And I looked at that beer, I looked at the ingredients, and I thought, there is absolutely no way, no way that'll work. But I was pleasantly surprised. And it turned out to be something that I I actually rated quite highly. I gave it a 4 on Untapped. And uh, that's a little bit of foreshadowing on uh, on how I feel about a lot of today's episode. Okay,
0: cool. what about you? Yeah, I've got superhero sidekicks, and again, that's from Kings County Brewing Collective, which is what I've got as my second drink this evening. It's a six point nine percent American IPA, which I gave a five to an untapped. <clears throat> Excuse me. Sorry, that was genuine shock. Genuine shock. And I actually bought this on the way to your house when we came down in between the, um, in between the lockdowns and nipped into Trembling Madness. Bloody hell when you turned
1: up with that, uh, with that 20-gallon box bursting at the seams of, uh, of Landlady.
0: I have to say, though, talking about Bridgehouse Brewery, we had this week, and this should have been in the rant section at the start, the rum, rum and raisin stout from Bridgehouse, and we'd had it in the cupboard for ages and we ended up being the 16th and 17th people on to untap it but had we untapped it when we first got it we'd have probably had an untapped whack
1: (laughs) you mentioned this you mentioned this yeah
0: that is that is
1: absolutely gutting i think i think i've still got the only untapped whack between us yeah for uh, one of the north was it one of the northern monk or brass castle beers i can't remember off top of my head
0: i think it was a brass castle uh, I've had a few in the top three, but ju- just gutted about that because it would have been an untapped whack. And it's been in the cupboard. Couple- and not only that, Beth had um, got some given by someone at work and the uh, lady that lives a few doors down Julie on our street had given us some beers and there was one in there as well. So two people had given us them. <laughs> uh, oh mate. Heartbreaking. Yeah. Heartbreaking. So now it's time for Beth's Beer of the Week. And Beth's Beer of the Week is Honeycomb by Seven Brothers Brewing. And Beth's Beer of the Week is Honeycomb by Seven Brothers Brewing. It's a 4% pale ale, which Beth gave a 5 to 1 untapped, and I actually gave a 5 to 1 untapped as well. Back-to-back fives. I didn't think you gave fives. Well, they happen rarely. And I've not tried it, as far as I can remember. You're not not on there? Uh, Duly noted. You'll have to uh, you'll have to get involved, but quite apt. Seven brothers with the amount of bros that were probably being said backstage uh, during the writing of this episode. (laughs) What a segue! And the reason, well, the reason that's a segue is obviously it's a Vince Russo and Jim Cornette episode. But we didn't touch on last week why Bruce Pritchard had left. So previously, we'd sort of looked at the reasons that. Vince McMahon might have got rid of a head of creative, or in fact, Bill Watts has just up, and up sticks and left, because he couldn't do it anymore. Um, Bruce Pritchard actually gets a sideways promotion, so he's going to go and become head of talent relations, which I suppose in the terms of the episodes that we're reviewing, is that the equivalent of someone going away from being a football manager and becoming director of football? Yeah, actually, yeah, that follows on. I never considered that before, but yeah, you're about right on that. Yeah, so Bruce Pritchard's still going to be hovering around in the background. Probably got a little bit more say about the actual the wrestlers that are coming in, that kind of thing, the hiring and firing. Possibly going to be still sat there in the back of the creative meetings, um, but certainly not having the input that he would have done before. And uh, Russo and Carnet are off to the races. But before Vince McMahon's going to put Vince Russo into that position, he's going to log into his LinkedIn and look at the, some of the factors. That might suggest why you should give him the job. So we'll just go through his CV, and you uh, can comment on things that you might think is a good idea, et cetera. So he graduated from Indiana State University, Evansville, with a degree in journalism.
1: Well, a degree in journalism helps his uh, initial um, introduction into uh, WWE employment with the uh, with the magazine. So that's always helpful. And uh, it turns out me and uh, Vince Russo both share a share a degree. I've got one as well, so. You know, well,
0: you is that? you'd both done half the credits and combined them together.
1: <laughs> to be fair, I think I, I only just barely passed, so that's probably not far off.
0: <laughs> There's quite a few people with degrees in journalism in wrestling. Michael Cole, Sean Mooney, Chris Jericho. Jericho's got one. Jericho's got a degree in journalism. Um, and... And believe it or not, Dave Meltzer, I don't know if he particularly uses it in his current profession, but he's got a degree in journalism. I work so, in travel I work in travel now, and I've got a feeling Dave
1: Meltzer uses his degree in journalism as much as I use mine.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, unnecessary shot at somebody far more successful than myself. You know what? If Dave Meltzer's current career doesn't work out for him, he can always fall back and go into journalism. Yeah. <laughs> So anyway, talking about uh, Vince Russo's career, he owns and runs two video stars. Great. Good for him. No, it's genuinely good for him. You know, he's a business owner, fair play. And he advertises those stars on John Arez's Pro Wrestling Spotlight on WEVD Radio. And Aresi is going to help him book wrestlers to appear at the video styles, do meet and greets, etc., to try and get footfall up, and helps him get wrestlers such as the Honky Tonk Man to appear in the star.
1: Hey, Honky Tonk Man! But I
0: went over that last episode. I won't retread old ground. I-, I was trying to find a list of the wrestlers that had gone in there. I don't know if I'm confusing it because I, I know Paul Heyman had used connections to get Bam Bam Bigelow into nightclub launches, etc. So I was thinking, had Bam Bam gone? But yeah, the only I could find was Honky Tonk. Vince Russo actually then goes and trains to be a wrestler with Johnny Rods. I don't think he's ever got any intentions, at least at this point, of stepping into the ring. But he has got intentions of getting into the wrestling business in some capacity. So um, he goes and trains with Johnny Rods. Yeah, fair play to him.
1: Um, anybody who gets you know gets between the ropes and and tries it and has some form of, of of training is it's more than I've ever done so I do I, I do have a level of respect for anybody who at least gives it a go and sticks it out for a time
0: yeah no it's fair enough and it's quite good in a way to try and get that insight and maybe that's sort of the journalistic background of trying to get to the root of the story field research yeah yeah the only way you can truly know it is by doing it yeah so then he goes to on to co-host the Wrestling Spotlight show with John Arezzi. But they end up having an argument, which sort of 30 years later, I think they've now reconciled, but there was a lot of bad blood for a long time. And partly the argument's due to Vince Russo going off and starting his own radio show on WGBB. And that's where he invents the Vic Venom character. Didn't he also have a radio, sh- uh, radio show called Vicious Vincent's World of Wrestling? Yes, that was what it was called. Oh, um, right, and that's where he debuted the Vic Venom
1: character. Yes, yeah. Ah, fair enough, fair enough. I was, uh, sorry, I got a bit, for some reason, got a little bit lost there. Don't know
0: why,
1: but it's more in wrestling media. It's, it's a foot in the door. He's training, he's already got connections. It's This is more a route into the industry and an unconventional route, which sometimes employers like a Vince McMahon will see an unconventional route into the industry and take that and say, well, an outside you know, sometimes a quote-unquote outsider's opinion, it can actually be more valuable.
0: Well, it's sort of commonplace these days to hire writers from outside, you know, people from Hollywood, people who've worked on sitcoms, that kind of thing. But Vince Mm. Russo is is kind of the first guy that isn't dyed-in-the-wool you know selling wrestling programs at age 10 and growing up mm-hmm. in the industry that kind of thing is the first person to come into it through academia and a completely different route yeah that that's what I was driving at you know like you say we've had the guys like Cornet
1: who you know selling programs and around the business constantly and then you have someone like Russo who is you know I think I can't remember if is a lifelong wrestling fan but he's taken his his interests or so his degree in journalism he's owning a video stores and he's combined that with i'm presuming a love of wrestling to get away into the industry but he's not mired he's not mired in the trappings of tv production he's not mired in the trappings of wrestling it's a complete fresh perspective which at this time i can under given what we've reviewed before i can understand why why vince mcmahon would look at it and say we need this fresh thinking, we need this fresh blood, we need something different to, to compete.
0: Yeah, and I think Russo would sort of see it that, yes, he was a wrestling fan, but he's also, you know, a fan of baseball and music and, you know, he's got several interests and mm. a lot of the other people, you take Jim Carnette, for example, who he's going to work with, and Jim Carnette is laser-focused on wrestling, mm. kind of the exclusion of other things in his life. Whereas Russo sort of sees it as, you know, a piece of the pie, but certainly not defining him. Yeah, it's more how does wrestling fit into
1: who he is and how does wrestling fit into the wider entertainment world?
0: Yeah, which isn't a view that Jim Cornette's going to have, which merely sort of clashes down the line. I can only imagine what it was like in those meetings. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's funny because... Bruce Pritchard has gone on record and sort of said that they were both incredibly passionate about the ideas, but they had kind of opposite ideas. Mm. But one of the things that Vince Russo had was that it was kind of easier for Vince McMahon to work with. Whereas Jim Cornette, once he dug his heels in, that was it. And if it didn't go his way, you're going to be very upset. Whereas Mm. maybe Russo would know when to fight his battles. Yeah, I can see that, and
1: that's and again, but again, that's and that's a really from what we've from what we've all heard. That's a decent way to to get in Vince's good graces and and advance yourself. Um, Which, let's be fair, some you know some people will go that way. Others like Cornet, who are completely passionate about their ideas. Again, I I respect the uh, the candor and I respect the uh, the faith that they have in themselves. But sometimes you do just
0: have to pick your battles. Yeah yeah and it is probably a life lesson i don't don't know if jim carnett's gonna learn it at this stage but
1: (laughs) (laughs) it might be a might be a little bit late on now but you know it's it's just one of those things i mean we're talking we're talking about two of the most divisive characters in wrestling but if you take any personal feelings you have towards either man out of it and look at Look at it in a purely a pure context of what they did within wrestling and how they elevated the business, respectively. They are both, both to a degree, they've got to be respected
0: on some level. Yeah, and we've la- we've waxed lyrical in previous episodes about some of Jim Carnett's on-screen performances that we've seen so far. Yeah, absolutely, fantastic. One of the best,
1: probably one of the best promos ever. Neil, it'll always. Go down is that within wrestling, it's you know, and that on-screen character will will always be fantastic. It's just then how how people go about tarnishing their own legacy later on. You know, it's 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 a real. We were talking before the recording about, uh, and it was something that was brought up on Bang Bang, the nuances in people. You know how you can be right about one thing, wrong about another, but it and yes, you know, or you can be you can be of a certain unacceptable viewpoint and yes, that's bad, but you can also be right about other things. And it's just, um, it's a nuance that's, that's lost on, on, on a lot of people, particularly in the internet wrestling community. Yes. Go off at people when they're, when they're wrong, when they're unacceptable, but a stop clock can still be right
0: twice a day. Yeah. And as we always say at the end of the show, a broken cage match is right twice a day. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I went off on a little uh, on a little sort of diatribe there, but I'm feeling that way out tonight. No, that's fine. So Vince Russo then going to go on and be hired as a freelance writer for the WWF magazine, and it's going to be a pretty meteoric rise because within two years he becomes the editor. Mm-hmm. Yep, I believe he also. Well, the rumor has it that he actually wrote a letter
1: to uh, to Linda McMahon uh, to initially be hired as a freelance writer. He wrote, basically laid out his CV, did all of that, and said, uh, please hire me, which, you know, you don't ask, you don't get.
0: No. Well, it, it was clear that he had, you know, his eyes set on a career in wrestling. He'd it, it kind of put some building blocks in place. Maybe he'd had a much later start than other people, but, you know, he had a goal. And, again, you know, maybe that's a life lesson. If you've got a goal, try and go for it.
1: Yeah, credit to him. And I, I know from... Like I say from my my journalism days when you as a, as a young man, when I was trying to get articles, even just into local papers, the only way you got anywhere was to continually beat down the door, send stuff in, send things in, send letters to editors, send email, well, obviously you know ten years ago, send emails, so he did Russo did exactly the right thing
0: yeah. And then as we've discussed before, Bill Watts is going to bring him in to um, observe the creative meeting, so he's going to be sat at the back for quite a while. Mm. Creative version of paying your dues, I guess. You're in the uh, the lower card,
1: just sat there keeping your gob shut, doing as you're told, fetching the coffee, but all the time you, you're listening, you, you're absorbing, you, you're making notes, you're you're learning how people work and how to work with people and what gets them, you know, what, what they'll be receptive to, what they won't be receptive to. And I, can, I it's one of those where people say, I'd love to be a fly on the wall. Well, at this point, I'd love to be a Russo sat at the back.
0: <laughs> you know. I, I don't know. It, it was probably quite frustrating. I mean, we've sat through some of those episodes and we discussed on the last episode with Mags, uh, no pun intended, about Vince McMahon slamming the magazine down on the table and saying they needed a, Changing creative direction, but it it probably was quite frustrating when you're sort of sat at the back and you think that things can be better. And maybe this is how Twitter feels, you know, every uh, every Monday after Raw. (laughs) But you know, you sort of sat there thinking, "I can do better," but obviously, you've got no power or agency to make any changes. Not not at the moment, no. But
1: you have, but you still have a presence and you you bring up the point about the magazine and it's been slammed down on the desk. That's, that's a recognition. That's, that's a step forward. It's taken a while, but in the grand scheme of things, he's been there four years by that point. Three, uh, four years. Five years by this point. No, five years by the time he's in the, um, the creative meetings. I'm mean. oh, sorry.
0: Five, five years by the time of the episode that we're going to review today. Yeah. Um,
1: that's that's five years from a freelance writer. Like you say, it's a meteoric rise, and I think far beyond anything, anything any, anyone's ever done really in terms of coming in with coming in as a as a low level employee to then essentially running the show. Yeah. So for it yeah. could be frustrated and all that, but nobody's done it quicker.
0: <laughs> I don't, I'd, I'd guess. No, and you know. Uh, I'd urge the listeners to uh, think about the where they work and have anyone had a, as meteoric a rise within five years? It's probably no. I used to work
1: in a supermarket, and the only person I know who got anywhere within five years shagged the manager. So,
0: <laughs> well, as, long, as long as you can live with yourself, Dan, that's uh... <laughs> you know, full well,
1: I. you know know, full well i got nowhere in that job (laughs) so it must have been crap
0: (laughs) i don't know what to say to that anyway Anyway, let's let's look at the context of the rating so russo and carnet are going to work together for 27 episodes and it's a roughly flat trend you know, so it's staying pretty even over that time. They have a low that we're going to review today of 2.2. They have a high of 4.1. So the low's on the 9th of June, 97. High's on the 21st of July, 97. As you said, the average is 2.7. And not to get all stats, it has a standard deviation of 0.38, which shows there's a really low variance. So the kind of keeping the ratings apart from these high and low ones very much around that
1: 2.7 so we'll take lot, your
0: word for it a lot of consistency and interestingly for the first sort of at least the first half of that 27 wcw were pretty much around 3.3 for all that time almost a flat line so so both companies were kind of keeping uh you know a, a very sort of steady steady path during this time it compares to pritchard and cornet uh, previously um, that we've reviewed with Mags, who had an average of 2.52, so it's a little bit higher. And that then is going to compare to when Russo goes off on his own, when um, Vince McMahon finally decides he doesn't want Jim Connett in creative anymore, and then the average is going to go to 3.85 and WWF off to the races, and it's up, up, up.
1: Mm. So, yeah, I think uh, I did my own little uh, look into the, um, into the ratings, and this is... This episode, I believe, was around about twenty-four weeks after the dog shit we reviewed last time with Mags. Um, was wow. so, and it, even this, even this low point is uh, it from you know just from pure numbers point, so much higher than the than the crap we uh, we uh, we looked in that. But this, I believe, this was only eight weeks into the uh, the Cornet Russo era, and, uh, and I think Nitro on the same week did a three point four, as you say. So it. It's one of those where you look at the numbers and compared to what we've seen before, it's not terrible, but it's not brilliant.
0: No, but at least at this point, they've kind of steadied the ship. Yeah. And sometimes steadying the ship can be a good job compared to periods when it might be going down, et cetera. Yeah, exactly. Well, if you're providing a
1: platform that's consistently higher than what you've been used to previously, that is still a good job because you're providing yourself with a foundation to improve
0: yeah yeah the the numbers sort of bear out that this was quite a stable time for wwf so that's a good thing as you say 24 weeks after the last show we reviewed and it's the fallout show from king of the ring yes yeah i'd, I'd forgotten about that i i, I did uh, i
1: was going to try and watch um watch king of the ring today but I'll be honest, I ended up, ended up getting distracted and I also took a nap at one point. So, but to be fair, what I should have done is actually put King of the Ring on while I was waiting for my food, because I'd have probably been able to watch the vast majority of the show in that time.
0: You should have had it on while you were uh, sleeping, trying to get some subliminal <laughs> <in your> while <own. laughs> Dreaming about Triple H winning King of the Ring. Oof,
1: that doesn't sound pleasant.
0: <laughs> I've just started the Iceberg Zombie Apocalypse from the King's County Brewing Collective. And believe it or not, Dan, I'm giving this another five. You're just taking the piss out of me now. <laughs> I don't normally like stour, um, sours, but this is lovely.
1: I'm gonna, right, I'm going to have to try it then. I'll I'll keep an eye out for you checking because I love a sour. I absolutely love them. Uh, I, I like them almost as much as I like stouts. So... Yeah, I'm glad you like it, mate. I'm glad. I'm, I'm glad you're actually finally finding some joy in beer, and not just being a grumpy bastard and and giving everything giving everything a one point five because something was not point three percent off on what you expected it to be. <laughs> you <Yeah>. statty fuck. <laughs> <laughs> so I see you've just opened a new beer. I've opened it. I've not started it. Yet. I've still got um. I've still got a good slug of this uh, cinder toffee left. I just uh, I didn't want to uh, have the uh, can opening on the recording again. Wouldn't want people thinking I have an issue with drink.
0: Oh, R- ratings to come. Ratings to come. <laughs> so we've decided to change the format of the show a little bit because we've now moved into the period where Raws move into two hours. The next nitro that we're going to do which i think is in three episodes possibly is going to be a three hour nitro so it's changed very much from the one hour shows that we we found it quite easy to go through every single beat of the show so what we're going to do we're going to each pick Five notable things from the show. Uh, they may be good things, they may be bad things, just things that we, we want to raise. And then we're going to try and come to a collective one. So if we pick the same five, brilliant. If we pick 10 different ones, we're going to have to whittle that down to five and negotiate a bit to decide which are going to be the final five. This is where it could end up being a five hour podcast <laughs> as we argue back and forth. <laughs> or 30 minutes of beer talk and two minutes of wrestling. <laughs> That actually sounds pretty good. Yeah, yeah. It's the right <laughs> ratio. We've been ratioed.
1: <laughs> ratioed by our <power> drinking. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what ratioed means. I see it online. The young people are using it now, and I, I, I just stay out of it. I don't understand the youth. I'm an old man. Anyway, raw...
0: Yep so this was a raw from the 9th of June 1997. It was filmed at Hartford Civic Center in Connecticut. 7,164 people there. It looked like a proper raw. It looked like what I remember from like being about well I was
1: I was 8 years old when they said this is my prime sort of formative years watching wrestling. So a lot of what I'm going to say will be heavily heavily influenced
0: by nostalgia. And I'm not ashamed of that. <laughs> There were certainly a lot more people there than we've seen on recent episodes when we've been reviewing Raw. Yeah, it it did feel more like a big deal than shows that we've watched so far. So what would be your first takeaway from the show, Dan? Right, I've I've
1: been wondering about this, and I don't know whether to go negative or positive or what. So I think, you know what, I'll go chronologically. I'm going to start at the beginning, and it's the, the first match. Which was pretty much straight in. Uh, it was Ahmed Johnston and Legion of Doom versus Savio Vega, Crush, and Farouk representing the Nation of Domination. I looked at this match on paper and I thought LOD in the ninety you know—in the late nineties, I, I remember them being there, but all I remembers remember is that horrible stuff they did with Hawk and his alcoholism, and and I don't, you know, again being seven, eight years old, I don't particularly remember every beat of of the Nation. And I was actually pleasantly surprised because LOD was still super over, and this is not. There may have been a degree of piping in, but the fan reaction matched (laughs) matched the noise, which is more than can be said for a lot of episodes. John, Ahmed Johnson, and LOD just fit together well. It's one of the most physically imposing teams I've ever seen, and you know there was some great fluidity, which was a great contrast to. Um, the dysfunction in uh, in nation of domination. So they were doing well selling that story. Uh, Ahmed was obviously still over. Farouk was Farouk Savion. Crush were sort of mediocre heels. They didn't get a lot of a lot of intrigue from the fans, as far as I remember. But it was all part of a greater story to be told throughout the show. And it, so it was a decent match. There was it was just a, it was just it was a, a hoss match for a lot of it it was a wrestlemania rematch as well that they dropped in which was which was quite nice and yeah it was it was very quick it was 9 minutes of just hoss fighting power moves bit of dysfunction bish bash bosh hot start to the show there was no preamble like we've seen before and it was just yeah straight in bish bash bosh big lads fucking each other up and that is more than fine by me
0: yeah, I, I enjoyed the match. I gave it the most Yorkshire review ever. When I look at my notes, I said it was right enough. Yeah, yeah,
1: and yeah, that's that's above, you know, just just above averages. I'd, if I was going on our rating system, I'd have given it a six out of ten. But that's not bad for an opener. It whets your appetite, and it, like I said, it laid some good story for the rest of the show.
0: Yeah, the crowd were genuinely invested in it. Genuinely, and it did, as you say, set the sort of seeds for the cracks in the nation. And you had Vince on commentary there saying that um, Salvio and um, Crush were being blamed for distracting Farouk King of the Ring, sort of giving that callback to what happened the previous night and all sort of the tension in between. And as you say, a host match, you know, it was all that we've come to expect from the Legion of Doom when we've been, you know, reviewing the early 90s pay per views on. That '90s wrestling podcast with James and Mags, but you know, here we are, and uh, we're sat in 1997, and they're still doing it. It's yeah. Still over.
1: One of one of the few acts from the late, from the '80s and early '90s that that were just so physically imposing and, and looked so. They still kind of they still look pretty cool, even yeah. with the dodgy haircuts. They still look pretty cool, and it takes a lot to uh, to sort of transcend those very different periods. I also want to want to just give a quick shout because this was it didn't take long before we saw a couple of great signs. I picked out from the just from this match, Farouk this instead of fuck
0: this. (laughs) Uh,
1: And also a great one for anybody like yourself, Rob, who's obviously a big fan of World of Sport Wrestling. Uh, There was a sign saying Loch Ness Fan Club. Yes, it was a nice, nice nod to the competition who briefly had giant haystacks on the books as Loch Ness.
0: There were some brilliant signs throughout the show. There was a juice in Thunder Liger is the best there is, the best there was, and the best there ever will be. That was right behind commentary. It was. (laughs) And there was another one right behind uh, commentary that said, uh, Vince, don't ruin the great Saskia. (laughs) Yes, I noted that
1: one down as well. I, I think I've got a couple more in the bag for uh, for if we get to uh, to those segments. But yeah, the in fact, I could have brought the signs up as as one of my favourite points, but I wanted to. Uh, that's more for the era. I just wanted to keep it um, episode specific for now. Do
0: you know what I think we should do? I think now that we've sort of transitioned, you know, now that we're in '97, there's going to be signs everywhere for the rest of these episodes that we review. I think we add a sign of the night award. Okay,
1: let's do it. I've not factored that into my notes, but if you want to do one this week, I'm up for it. Yeah.
0: It's not replacing the uh, René Goulet Living Memorial Award, is it? It certainly isn't. René Goulet Haircut of the Night Award is going to be there for as long as we're doing podcasts, because René Goulet is a legend. I will say, and I'm not counting this as one of my downs, because you can't really, but this is the first show that we reviewed that René Goulet wasn't in. I, I was gonna, I was gonna bring that up, but it's just a bit too painful. It is. I mean, that that in in, in reality, that's a massive down, massively disappointing, and I'm surprised that Raw's ratings didn't go down to zero. But uh, as sad as it is, we have to appreciate that not everyone sees Rene Goulet the same way that we do.
1: No, and I'm, I'm just gonna uh, propose a toast, sir, to uh, to the great Renee Goulet in our first episode without him. Cheers,
0: Renee. Just so after that, more, much. after that moment, after that moment of silence, I'll go on to the next one, and I'll bookend your first match with Farouk making changes to the nation. Uh-huh. Um, so as I said, we'd sort of sowed seeds that there was problems with the nation, and then we get Jr. in the ring, and he's with Farouk and the nation, and he's saying that he formed the nation to watch his back and he's saying that uh, he made Salvio and Crush. And sort of just prior to this, we've seen Doc Hendricks in the backstage segment in the dressing room of the nation. And there's just Salvio and Crush sort of left in there. The rest of them have all sort of left to go to the ring. And, you know, they're, they're sort of very angry about what's going on. You know, they're sort of, Hitting the walls, that kind of thing, going, going, going mad. So you know, we go back to Farouk in the ring, and he's saying that he's firing Salvio Vega and he's firing Crush, and then he fires the entourage that the nation's got. So they've got a lot of sort of hangers on at the back. He he fires them, and there's just D'Lo Brown and Clarence Mason left in the ring. And we've talked about it before about people, you know, working with seconds rather than minutes or whatever. And the expression on D'Lo Brown's face, you can see Farouk's firing all these people and Farouk's saying, I'm you know, I'm going to only keep one person in the nation with me. And you can see D'Lo thinks that he's going to get fired. Yeah. And sort of that sort of worry on his face. And then he fires Clarence Mason. And I just thought it was sort of a, a brilliant sort of scene-stealing performance just from the looks of D'Lo Brown uh, in the background. And obviously... You know, he's going to go off and form the new nation. Salvio and Crush are going to go off and form their new faction. So a, a lot sort of happening here. And then Farouk challenges, you know, his biggest rivals that he's faced during the nation. So he challenges The Undertaker and Ahmed Johnson. And it, it's a complete shift for the nation, complete shift for the storyline. You know, we're going to get Mark Henry in there. We're going to get The Rock in there. You know, we're really after to the races with the nation after this
1: yeah it was um it was a, a it was a, a good it was a great promo in a in a show full of fantastic promos and vignettes i was just really just really impressed especially given some of the crap we've we've had to listen to over the over the course of recording these Farouk, obviously incredible talent as ever and like i said de lo lo and clarence mason um favorite of the show clarence mason uh, i should point out he um they just made so much out of it because you could see as much as DeLo was thinking he was gone, Clarence was giving it the biggin. Yeah, when he was saying, "Yeah, I'm staying. I'm staying. I'm staying." And Farouk, when he just says, "DeLo, hold the ropes for Clarence," Clarence Mason, you're fired as well. And the, that sort of that 180 and that switch switching demeanor, it really was. It really was fantastic, and I enjoyed it. It. it I'll be honest, it didn't make my five. My five selections, but it's definitely one to have in the back pocket for if we disagree on anything else. Yeah, I can't fault the segment. It's just for me, there were better promo segments and things that were sort of more noteworthy, even though this was, like you say, such a vital turning point in so many people's careers.
0: And is this the point where we're getting the Russo swerve? How do you mean? That we think it's going to be Clarence Mason, and it turns out to be D.L. Brown that's staying. Oh yeah,
1: yeah. That's uh, that's very much a uh, very much a Russo trope, and the thing is, it's one that it's one that really does work even now. You know, the fake out, the thing, the misdirection, the the thing you are going one way and you go another. It, it's people bemoan it as cliche and overdone, but even now, when it's done right, it's brilliant. It
0: is, and I I thought this was brilliant. I thought it was really good, really good. So what's your second one, Dan? Right, well, we were talking about promos and
1: and vignettes, so I'm going to go for one that, for me, was just one of the best things I've ever seen and quite possibly what I consider to be the best thing on this show, and that was part three of JR interviewing Mankind the i'd i have seen this before it's been a lot of years and every time i watch it i am blown away by mick foley's delivery the character of mankind much like the undertaker should never have gotten as far as it did he was put in a weird mask he was there in shit colored clothes he was just sent out there to be a freak show but through his through Foley's toughness, his ability to take an ass kicking, he ends up in this position where they're going deeper into his character, they've expanded on his past, they're using his ECW matches, they're using the idea of impossibly having multiple personalities. And Foley sat there almost it's like Jake Roberts with more of a with more of an edge of of instability. Where he's very soft in his very soft speaking, and then we'll just be absolutely wailing. I think when JR raises the issue of split personalities, he says, If there's something wrong with my mind, I'd be the first to know. Yeah. And his body language, and when he starts, you know, he's ripping his hair, he's saying, You think I like pain? You think I like, and, it, and it, it, it's a bleeding in of reality when he's saying, Do you think I like having a doctor shove a 12 inch needle into me just so I can get up in the morning? And then puts them, so not, not to give too too much of a rundown, but he finally gets pushed over the edge by JR's line of questioning and he, he slaps the mandible claw on. And JR's really selling it, sounding like he's choking. And then ma- Mankind realises what he's done, he's, he's asking for help, he's very timid. It was just a wonderful layering of character and mystique and intrigue to the whole sort of just the whole myth of mankind and the man behind the mask and, and his past. And it's the closest I've ever come to given to rating anything 10 out of 10.
0: It was brilliant. And it was my favorite moment of the show as well. And they sort of set this up. There's sort of Vince and JR on commentary and the cameras on them. And Vince is saying that JR has been personally affected by the series of interviews with Mankind, mm-hmm. and JR's saying at the end of the interview he'd never felt as helpless, you know, and yeah. it, it's showing that, you know, JR's, at least in kayfabe, physically affected by having to sort of go through these interviews with Mankind. Mm. And as you say, some of the, some of the stuff, he said, you know, they're, obviously they're calling back to, you know, the barbed wire death matches in Japan with Terry Funk, that kind of thing, and he's saying as he said about him saying about, he doesn't, you know, saying about him liking pain and, uh, and saying, you know, would he like it if he couldn't play with his son because he was in so much pain, that kind yeah. of thing. Saying, you know, the calling to Shawn Michaels, you know, it was my boyhood dream. Why do you only say that for Shawn Michaels? And yeah. there was a, the thing where he said, you know, why didn't Vince hire me when I was good? Why didn't he hire me when I was young?
1: Yeah, why didn't you? Yeah, I I wrote that down. Why didn't you take me when I was young? Why didn't you take me when I was good? And when he's saying about Sean, he's like, you know, we, we had the same dream. Why does why does he look like that, and why do I look like I do? And then when Jr. saying, well, you know, at some point you have to accept some personal responsibility for for who you are, which is what tips him over the edge. And then even Jr. after saying. He thinks that no wrestler should ever put his hands on a broadcast journalist, but he has to accept at, at least partial responsibility for the line of questioning. It's yeah, that 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 is that is as close to real as you get. As you know interviewing anybody, you especially an athlete, especially a fighter. If you push the wrong buttons, if you push someone too far, they're going to pop you. Yeah, it was magnificent. Yeah.
0: It was magnificent, and. The only shame is that they just didn't end the show there. Because where do you go from there? Yeah. <laughs> you go into a rockabilly versus Bart Gun match. <laughs> <laughs> and that one, we actually covered on a previous episode with Mags uh, about where that sort of feud starts. Yeah, we yeah. did. I was, I was pleasantly <laughs> surprised. Well, I was surprised. I don't know if it was pleasantly surprised. Yeah, it just turned up there. Um, but that might be one of the other points that we discuss. So I, I, I would more than happily agree that that should be in our top five. So we definitely agree on the uh, on the mankind interview. Definitely agree on the mankind interview.
1: Are we um, are we keeping LOD? Are we keeping LOD in the back pocket and the Farouk promo in the back pocket
0: for? Yeah, we haven't agreed on that one yet. I, I, well, yeah. I mean, yeah, I guess you could see it as an overarching story and maybe combine it into one because it all does sort of. Yeah. We can together. come back to it. We can come back to it. So, as you say, it was a show of great promos, and we get a great Austin promo on the show. Yes. And Austin's hot in this period; is in there with the ring, re- in the ring with uh, Vince McMahon. He gets a massive pop. We get highlights from the King of the Ring, and it's showing Austin inter- uh, interrupts in Pillman's interview and um, pushing him, and uh, it shows uh, him sort of flushing him in the toilet and Austin says that he's proud of everything he did. The only thing he isn't proud of, that the ball wasn't full.
1: (laughs) What a line that is. What a line.
0: Yeah. And, you know, he's sort of bemoaning that uh, Bret Hart was injured last night, so he had to fight Shawn Michaels. And Bret Hart's challenged five wrestlers to face them at Calgary Stampede, which is, you know, one of the sort of best pay-per-views that WWF put on in in this era. And Austin's there saying that he'd do it on his own if Gorilla Monsoon would let him. And the crowd's absolutely on fire. They're just eating out of Austin's hand at this period. So I'd put the Austin promo in the top five. And oh, I'm hard-pressed to disagree with you. But
1: the only thing I'd counteract that with is that... The Austin promo was part of something greater throughout the show. And it was actually, it wasn't the point I was going to raise next, but it was a point I was going to raise later. And it is just how well Austin versus Pillman is sold throughout this whole show. Clips and backstory for Pillman Pillman and Austin throughout the show. We see clips of Shotgun Saturday Night. We see the start of the Pillman's Got a Gun uh, segment. The match is, for to you know, is is built, is hyped by the commentary throughout the whole show. They always keep that in the viewer's mind, not after every single segment, but every few, every few segments. we just a reminder. We've got Austin versus Pillman coming. We've got Austin versus Pillman coming. Here's why it's coming. Here's what's happened. Here's the King of the Ring. Here's the you know the the infamous Swirly, the Gun, the all of that. We've not seen anything like that in any episode of raw or nitro we've covered so the the only reason that the austin promo wasn't part of my thinking was because it formed part of something greater. it was one of the best parts it was the best part of it
0: but it was part of it was part of a greater whole so so is that your third thing the build to the austin hillman yeah 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 it can be just just
1: the way it was the built and the way it was in everybody's uh the way it was kept in everybody's mind
0: now obviously we're going to have to debate this later but one of my problems with the build to the austin pillman was it was a bait and switch and we didn't actually get it yeah
1: that's that's annoying but even with the bait and switch where we didn't actually get it it then by the end of the show it still had a bearing on the main event or at least on the end of the show because i know we i know we, we basically got Pillman versus Mankind, because Hebner says, says so after the, uh, you know, the jumping of Austin and, and all of that. But then Austin's out at the, Austin and Shamrock are out at the end to beat down on, the, to beat down on Pillman and the and, Hart uh, Foundation. And then, you know, Austin stands tall at the end of the show. So it's not, we didn't get the match, but we
0: still got an advancement of the Austin versus Pillman story. And it wasn't even the Full Heart Foundation because Vince says on commentary that Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels have been thrown out of the building for an unprofessional display of conduct earlier in the night, and we never saw or heard of this previously. Yeah, at least at least he went at
1: least he went a ways to explaining their abs- uh, to explaining Bret's absence. I mean, I think at this point it was Bret and Shawn. It was well known that they, at least in kayfabe, that they, they were in a rivalry and they didn't like each other, and a lot of people had known that in that was true in real life
0: so it wasn't beyond the realms of possibility although let's be fair if you're going to eject Shawn michaels for an unprofessional display of conduct how's he made a show previously yeah (laughs) 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 because previously
1: vince mcmahon was quite happily to quite happy to sit there on commentary as sean danced and he just got to enjoy it So, yeah, I can understand where you're coming from with a bait and switch. And, and maybe it is a bit of nostalgia and a bit of sort of that we've not seen anything like it. But the way that that match was, was and feud was hyped and recapped and promoted throughout the show, I thought was really well done. And then, yeah, we didn't get the match, but at least we got some advancement to it.
0: Yeah, I think it was decent. I'd just rather go with the promo. But we can move on. So what was your fourth one, Dan? Um, My fourth one, let
1: me just... Right, we've talked about some good. So I think it's time to talk about some bad. I didn't want to put too much bad in because I prefer to to talk about the stuff I like in wrestling. But there were two things I had to look at that were just, to me, terrible. And I've chosen to talk about the one where I don't have to talk about the honky-tonk man. (laughs) And it's the match between the headbangers... And Doug Furness and Phil LaFon. I can see what they were going for, giving him the jobber entrance with no music and calling him the most exciting tag team in the WWF or claiming that they claim that. But while technically sound, it was just dull. It was wallpaper paste. You can have the headbangers out there looking looking, you know, outlandish all you want. But the fans didn't give a shit. The, the commentary didn't give a shit. They were too busy dropping stupid one liners about them, you know, about them being quote unquote exciting. And it just sucked all the energy out of it for me. I just, I just really didn't like it. The, and the finish to the match, like I said, I, I, try, I try not to criticise actual wrestling and the in ring work because I don't know what it takes to do. But when something goes as blatantly obvious as the missed splash for that finish, where he's far too far away, Lafon, bless him, looked terrified being up there. And, you know, he misses the splash and it's just, I think it was a stupid little roll-up. It just it just wasn't good. And everybody knows it wasn't good. I've talked before about the disparity in tone between, you know, early 90s goof goofball and Attitude Era. This was a bit of a goofball thing in the Attitude Era. It just... Missed the mark completely for me.
0: Well, I think you've missed the purpose of this segment, and I'm not going to defend this segment. Or, I mean, it was just there, but the reason it was just there, and the reason that they'd got the most exciting tag team in the history of the WWF, the Canama Express, in here, because they are so dull. Because this segment is used because yet again the forbidden door is open, and we've got ECW in WWF. We've got Paul Heyman and Rob Van Dam coming to ringside during this match and taking the seats. We've got the commentary talking about ECW during the match. We've got the ECW chants from the crowd. JR's just saying that Paul Heyman's here to get hype to promote his show by coming to Raw. And later in the show, we're going to get footage from ECW We see Jerry Lawler on the ECW pay-per-view and he's leading Van Damme and Cebu with Bill Alfonso to attack Tommy Dreamer. And, you know, JR's saying that that we're going to find out more on Saturday night on ECW. And that leads into Rob Van Damme having a match with Flash Funk. So we've got this whole sort of ECW partnership running through. And to me, that's what that segment was for with the Headbangers match, just to sort of put over the ECW invasion. So I would put my fourth one down as the ECW invasion, even though when we do get the breakup between Rob Van Dam and Jerry Lawler and Tommy Dreamer, Pat Patterson comes in rather than René Goulet. <laughs> that,
1: that, it does get marked down for that. And the thing is, you say about him and Dreamer coming to the ring, Sorry, coming to ringside and taking the seats. I'd go along with that if that actually happened during the match. It's one of the rare times I'd be happy with it, with with a match interruption, something taking the focus. But they actually came down before the match even started, as far as I can remember. Yeah, they were there or or just after. Uh, You know, literally nothing. I don't think that even the wrestlers had even touched.
0: No, but they were using that time to promote them so like the commentary was talking about them all the way through and the crowd's attention was on dreamer and Heyman uh or poorly dangerously mm-hmm. at this point rather than on the match so th- I, I do get where you're coming from with it it,
1: it just doesn't it doesn't and, and, I, and you know maybe that is the purpose it doesn't take away from the fact it was a dull as fuck wrestling match and the uh, possibly the worst or second worst thing on the show for me but I, yeah. I would go one, one. thing I would go along with, and I think we can, I think we can actually pop this on, is your fourth pick is the ECW invasion, and I would go along with that because yeah. it, it was quite well done. The you know the Lawler and RVD alliance, the whole thing with Dreamer and uh, and him at ringside, and then obviously eventually going at each other, which I'm assuming you were going to go into a bit more detail. But yeah, I think we can uh, we can agree on the ECW invasion
0: excellent so we've got the mankind and the ecw invasion that we agree on so far so what's your fifth to go along with the ecw theme which i think it'll get absorbed
1: into uh, the invasion angle it's actually the match between rvd and flash funk i really enjoy this and again it could be by um, I, I do try and judge everything on its own merit but it couldn't escape my knowledge it might escape my uh my thought that this is this match was different to anything we'd seen before it was much more fast paced there was a lot more high flying a lot more high risk taking out flash funks completely dreadful costume it really was a, a lot of fun to watch and i was i was you know looking and looking at Aurora and thinking wow shit there's, there's people flying all over the shop you know we we there's a bit of that on wcw at this point but when you've got things like i think it was the opening uh, the opening exchange where it was a lot of dodges, a lot of fake outs, trying to hit moves and near misses, and it was, and, you know, and then the face off, really great. And you got RVD somersault plancher, even RVD taunting after hitting the rolling thunder, it was incredible. And yeah, this match just really stood out to me again because it's different to anything on the show, and also completely different to anything we've uh, we've seen thus far, especially on Raw.
0: Yeah, it, it was a decent match, RVD was doing a different style, as you say, especially to what we'd seen. I mean, the last episode that we reviewed with Mags, we're talking about them saying that map based hold for hold style of Lucha Libre was a proper style. Uh, and he, <laughs> yeah. you, know, we, you know, we get something far more flashy, no inten- um no pun intended. Um no fun intended.
1: That was the uh, that was last that was the last episode's um
0: <laughs> uh, last, last episode's Lucha. It was. So it was a decent match. I don't know if I would put it in my top five, to be honest. But yeah, it was a decent match. What I probably would put in my top five is the interview with Triple H in China. Okay. We've got Vince there asking why he cheated to beat mankind and, you know, there's a beat down afterwards. And Triple H is saying that he should have been King of the Ring a year ago because of you and your politics. He wasn't mm-hmm. referencing the fallout from the curtain call, which again is sort of this style of reality coming into wrestling rather than it just being sort of the character based. It's, it's more real, the pulling the curtain back that little bit. And mm-hmm. I, I really liked that. And Triple H was saying that not even Vince McMahon was able to stand in his way. And then we get Mankind on the big screen. So Mankind's got quite a lot. To do in this show and mankind saying he'd like admission to uh triple h's house of pain um you've got china telling mankind to come to the ring and kiss her ass and mankind actually sort of runs down to the ring and you know f- a fight breaks out triple h beats up mankind triple h is there with the king of the ring crown and it gets crushed in the melee and as Triple H and China are leaving, there's Mankind there in the ring, sort of, you know, broken down from this attack. You know, the character's broken down for everything they've been promoting. And he puts the broken crown on his head. Yeah, that was great. That was a great moment. Um, but, not, but not necessarily in a comedy way. It's just because he's so downtrodden and so it yeah. fits into the gimmick. That's what I meant. Yeah,
1: I was completely on the same wavelength. It fits so well. The bro- the broken crown, the hardcore belt that's the you know WWF title replica that's been run over by a truck essentially. Yeah, I did this interview again. Like you say, it's a, it's an episode full of great promos, and this was definitely was definitely one of them. The there was a couple of things in it that I was that we'll call it of its time. When China says, Why don't you come down and kiss my ass? Mankind just goes, it "Was your lucky day because I'm a great kisser. I'm, like, that, that was, yeah, I suppose I, I'm guessing that's acceptable because it's just a retort. But it's when Vince calls China's comments unladylike. It's like, Go fuck yourself, Vince. She'd beat the shit out of you. Yeah. <laughs> Talking <laughs> about unladylike, fuck off. A yeah. <laughs> load of old horse shit. Also, to be fair, I did write this down in my notes. Triple H versus mankind, Cactus Jack, Mick Foley is a really underrated rivalry, in my opinion. Especially when you get into the, you know, when you get into two thousand and and the Royal Rumble match, and then the uh, the Hell in a Cell. I think the Hell in a Cell followed it in No Way Out. I think it was like Foley's first retirement. They do work so well together. So, I think this is going to be one where. I just don't argue, but I don't know because now I'm, th- I'm th- now I'm caught thinking if we're going to put another promo on, was this better than than the Farouk promo? Because I know we've got a few. I know we've got three slots left. But I'd still fight the corner for the build up to Austin Pillman being on there. God, this well, is harder than I thought it'd be.
0: <laughs> I mean, in, in a way, the build up to Austin Pillman includes Austin's promo, which I've got in there. Yeah. I, I don't like the end of the match and I, you know we, we've each given our five now but one that i had in my back for a bad and i said this before that the show should have just ended after mankind but mm. billy Gunn killed this show this <laughs> show this show was <laughs> heading to be this show was heading off to be heads and shoulders the best show that we've reviewed if it stayed on that level And then Billy Gunn and the Honky Tonk Man come out. And despite the fact they've got a rivalry from the last 24 weeks, you know, one of them's had a broken neck. You know, Billy's broken his neck. Bart's tried to apologize. Uh, You know, Billy's wife hasn't taken the apology. Billy hasn't taken the apology. They've been there. But then in the middle, Billy gets repackaged randomly to be with the Honky Tonk Man. Because, and and (laughs) the reason Billy Gunn is there with the Honky Tonk Man, I mean, Mag's touched on it before with the match that um, he had with the Road Dog at the time. But prior to that, the idea had been to bring in Disco Inferno as a free agent, and he would be the Honky Tonk Man's protege. And they came very close to bringing him in, but they made him have a phone interview with Bruce Pritchard, and Bruce Pritchard said he failed the phone interview. I mean, Mm. when you're hiring a wrestler... Yeah, that's some bullshit that is. It's that classic thing, you know. If you were to give Lionel Messi a uh, a phone interview and ask him how he goes about scoring a goal, he probably wouldn't do that. Very, he wouldn't do that well in a phone interview.
1: <laughs> no, no, he wouldn't. And do you know what? The when I obviously I said before that I had two to choose from in my in my bad my bad category. This was the other one, but I just didn't want to give any airtime to the honky tonk man because, as previously mentioned, I think he's an absolute prick. But I think if we, we we can't quite agree for the minute on the good so let's agree on the bad this was terrible this it, it really was terrible it was no the this was the culmination of a 20 you know 20 odd week feud where brothers are going against each other one's broken his neck and it was done in 4 minutes with a swinging neck breaker and nobody cared
0: yeah and the thing for me is that that was just a sign of the end of the show we we had that and then we get the austin pillman match pulled away from us as well and and it just felt that billy Gunn had come in and ruined the show yeah i can understand that that sort of logic i mean for me
1: i was just there thinking okay we just get through this and then it's the main event it was it was it was so bad it felt like it was almost designed to bring people down before the main event and well, Austin man. and Austin showing up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you want to bring people down, you don't want to have them fall asleep. It was rough going. Yeah, it really was so go on then. Rockabilly versus Bart Gun is making it onto our five and it's the first bad of the new format. But I mean the fact that we've managed to narrow it down to one bad one bad so far out of the three. Is uh, a lot better than previous episodes, and this is the lowest. This is the lowest rated.
0: As I say, this episode was on course to be that I would have given my highest rating to out of all the shows. Yeah, but
1: yeah, I can understand that. Along, I would, like. I say, I was, I was a less affected by the match than, than you, despite how bad it was. I, I got through the rockabilly thing, so I'm like, great. We get Austin Pillman next, and yeah, it's a shame we didn't get Austin Pillman, but. I'm still sort of relatively happy at what we did get. As I've yeah. mentioned before, we still got that cut, co- that continuation of the feud and also the, you know, we've got more advancement of the Ken Shamrock storyline, more advancement, yet more for mankind to do. It was also breaking out. And so, yeah, but it's what this show's all about. It is, you know, us coming together and, and looking at things and taking our own subjective viewpoints and trying to, uh, to come to a consensus.
0: And I think if we park the Triple H promo and the RVD versus Flash Funk for a second, we are reasonably aligned on the other two because I've got Farouk and The Nation and you've got the first match which involves Farouk and The Nation. Yeah. And I've got Austin's promo and you've got the build for Austin Austin Pillman through the night. And this would actually align
1: uh, align with with our take on what's the most important of the five categories in wrestling, which is the storyline. Yeah, and throughout the show, that had then become those two things had then become the Farouk sort of the progression of all as a whole, the progression of the the Nation of Domination storyline and the progression of the Austin and Pillman storyline.
0: Yeah, so are we going to take those as? The most important, and been off Triple H and RVD slash Flash Flash funk? Yeah, I'm
1: more than happy with that. I'm more than happy with that. The, I'll be no. honest, the RVD Funk match was maybe a bit of a reach on my part because I was, I think I was judging the the other promos too harshly by uh, you know, compared to uh, compared to the Mick Foley vignette. <laughs> no, <he didn't> <laughs> to be that. perfectly honest, and it, it's it's hard to, it's, it, it's unfair to do that against something that's quite nearly
0: perfection yeah no it was it, it was absolutely brilliant before we go over to the awards section i think we should have an advert break for um, wwf and just go through all the adverts that were on the show <laughs> yes there were some perlers so there was an advert for castrol super clean or wheel cleaner which you know what everybody needs that even now And it does what it says on the tin, it cleans your wheels. So there you go. Great, functional. Yeah, wonderful. One of the sponsors of the show was 1 800 Collect. And it's kind of interesting because they also were promoting the Ross report for $1.49 a minute. So I wonder if you can call Collect to the Ross report.
1: I would highly doubt it because that would be a revenue where Vince, sorry, an avenue where Vince couldn't make money.
0: It was funny though. All that time they spent um, slagging off Scheme Gene and um, the WCW hotline. Yeah. And, uh, and there they are. There they are, Two year, less than two years later. In fact, less than a year later. We've got two separate segments uh, for the Rory's War t shirt, and the merchandise has stepped up. The Rory's War t shirt is far better than some of the t shirts we've been seeing sold on Oh, pre- yeah. Shows. Definitely. I actually I would actually
1: love one of those t shirts now. Because I'm a sucker for a classic T-shirt. I've always wanted one of the Austin 316 ones and one of the NWO ones. It's just I can't, in good conscience, justify paying 20 to 25 quid for a plain black T-shirt
0: with white
1: writing on it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so we've got two segments for this. we got a Sonny segment where Sonny was backstage. And we didn't really see that much from of Sonny. From this show, which is a little bit of a shame, you know, and certainly in previous episodes um, that we've reviewed, she's been one of the uh, bright points. And then we got a Sable segment where she came out and was sort of dancing on the aisle in the t shirt, and that sort of fit into a thread that was running throughout the show with Mark Marrow being jealous of what, mm-hmm. what she was doing and he came and dragged her away. Um, yeah, I
1: think that, that whole thing with Sonny and Sable advertising the t shirts was very much, again, of its time in that late 90s and the whole sex sells idea. And it obviously, you know, that, that is what it is. And it was true at the time. It really did sell. But particularly with Sable, it was still really good how they fit a story element into the advertisement.
0: It was funny with Sable, though, because Sonny felt very at home in that role. Mm. And Sable... She seemed awkward, almost as if it was, well, and it was new to her, you know, and, you know, maybe it's not entirely what she wanted to do or whatever. I don't know if she really embraced that character. And I don't know if it's fair for her to be asked to play that character, to be perfectly mm. honest. And maybe that, in a way, I don't know, maybe it was a brilliant performance. Maybe she was trying to learn this new role or whatever. And then she also has a husband not wanting her to do that. So it's like, you know, to two ends of pressure. If that makes sense,
1: she, yeah, she's getting it from all. You know, getting the pressure and, and the and the the stress and the anxiety from all sides, as it were. But I mean, Sable went on to be so, Sonny was Sunny was undoubtedly a, a megastar in in you know for that for that period. But then Sable took up that mantle and and rode with it even further. Yeah. Um I think she's the. As far as I can remember, she's the first woman I recall seeing powerbombing, you know, power bombing and, and fighting the men. Because I'm pretty sure yeah. she powerbombed Mark Mirror more than once. But yeah, at this point, she was maybe a little bit awkward. But, you know, getting this, like I say, just getting the story element in there, as well as the sex sales advertising, at least it gave that side of things a point.
0: It did. We got Discovery Zone sponsoring the SummerSlam $1 million challenge. I don't remember that bit. Well, that, that, that says volumes, and Discovery Zone won't be happy that they're advertising uh, money. <laughs> Next, we get Fighters Mega Mix on the Sega Saturn, sponsoring the Slam of the Week. Yes, I remember this. It, it, I do it, remember this. Yeah, you know, considering we've had, you know, sort of Starburst and Skills and stuff before, you know, this felt a lot cooler. Yeah, definitely. It was, yeah, I mean,
1: Sega at the time were massive. I think the um, the Mega Drive had been out, f- I don't think it had been out for particularly long. Oh, this was the Saturn that this was on. The Mega Drive was early 90s. Sorry, the Saturn came after it, didn't I, I always get those two mixed up. But yeah, that's, it's probably the most sort of contemporary today advertisement we've seen so far on WWE, uh, WWF, apart
0: from Milk, which is obviously timeless. Milk is timeless, uh, and, and I think it should be brought back as a sponsorship for the Milk Cup. <laughs> and, and talking about uh, advertising in general, WWE promoting that um, David Sahadi and his team have won a Promax Award for the advertisement for SummerSlam 97. And the advertisement for SummerSlam 97 was effectively wrestlers taking part in track and field events. Yeah,
1: I remember. That. I remember that airing actually. When I saw it, I was looking at it. "I remember this." And you know, fair play to them, bigging bigging up the achievements. Why not? Got to
0: you got to take every uh, take every success and it's rightly celebrated. It. I mean, the one award, and you know, fair play to them. I did actually check if this was an award that people paid to win or won legitimately. I think it is actually one that people win legitimately. I wasn't overly impressed with the SummerSlam '97 advertisement but fair play they won an award certainly people in the industry seem to have been all that popped into my
1: head then was the episode of father ted where ted wins an award for best best priest or whatever golden cleric that's it and uh, father jack wants an award and he's just sat there drunkly in the chair going award award so they just give him a box that whiskey used to be in and he makes everybody stand up so he can (laughs) deliver a a quick drunken rambling speech and then sit down
0: it's like those rallies where they have a um, a different class for every type of engine, engine type, so everyone ends up winning. Yeah. <laughs> the, the WWF celebrated winning a participation trophy. It could well have been. It could well have been, but they they won it, and you know you've got to, yeah. you've got to this stuff. And it was interesting because it was you don't often hear Vince McMahon talking about the backstage people, you know, the people that are in the office or whatever, mm. and he certainly shouted out David Sahadi. So. Yeah, fair play. They were advertising the house show that we're going to run at the Toronto Sky Dome, and they were expecting 25,000 people plus, so... Fair play. To be honest,
1: they they may have got it.
0: Yeah. And we got a Super Soaker Rewind sponsored by the Super Soaker XP85 Triple Shots. Yeah,
1: which the whole advert looked a little bit noncey. Because it's like, it's. I'm pretty sure it was a grown adult and it was a device that was created so that you could soak three people at once. But they just showed an adult drenching three kids at a variety of angles.
0: You're being very cynical there. It was it was a lot less worrying than the Freddie Blassie um, WWF album.
1: This is true. And I'll, I'll also be honest, I have been, as, as usual, I have been drinking, but I've drank more than usual because I was, I was stressed drinking, waiting for my, waiting for my chippy tea.
0: <laughs> uh, and, and don't we all do that so now it's time for the awards section of the show so who would you give Match of the Night to? for me, well I brought it up
1: in my, uh, my uh, what would have been my five um, I'm going to give it to RVD and Flash Funk just for being uh, ahead of its time and completely different to anything we've seen
0: on Raw superb um, I'd give it to a match we haven't actually touched on when we've gone through the factors I'd give it to Owen Hart and Sid I thought it was an interesting mm. mix of styles. You know, the big man, little man sort of thing. I thought the crowd was, you know, really invested in it. Yeah, so I'd be more than happy to give it um, to that one.
1: Yeah, fair um, enough. Um,
0: I'd, I'd actually, even going through my notes then,
1: I'd, I'd completely forgotten about it. I don't, I can't remember why I didn't rate it that highly. I think it was, it was a bit of a shock to me, really, to see Sid selling as much as he did for Owen but then he you know picked up the win at the end with a big choke slam and and sort of that was that the the result in itself was a bit of a surprise because I was expecting more sort of shit from owen but uh yeah i can see why you'd give it that
0: yeah and you had sort of anvil on the outside causing problems that kind of thing the one thing that really detracted from this match was ken shamrock on commentary yeah bless that, him that. That was awfully. He was not comfortable in that position. But you know, I thought it was a good match. Good match. Yeah, I think with Shamrock as well. At that time, he gets
1: a pass because he is still very new to wrestling as a whole.
0: So, but yeah, you're chucking him out there to be a commentator. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't a good position for him. So, who would he give moment of the night to, or what would he give moment of the night to? Oh,
1: it's got to be. It's got to be the the mankind vignette. Just yeah. that whole thing was was just fantastic, and I can't pick out a specific moment in it. I think if I had to pick one moment from the vignette, it would either... I'll say one moment and then say either. It'd either be when he starts ripping his hair out and punching himself in the face and saying, do you think I like pain?" Or it'd be the moment of realisation when, when he realises that he's taken, taken out Jim Ross with, uh, with the mandible claw, and I think it's the latter.
0: I was just going to go for the uh, interview, in general. Yeah, yeah you know, it, it was, the moment within the moment. <laughs> it, it, it's possibly the best thing that we've reviewed so far. From all I, the think I think it is hands down. Yeah. So, who would you give the Rene Goulet Award for outstanding haircut of the night? The most eye-catching,
1: and just. Almost literally show. Well, it was literally show-stopping in that I had to to pause my network just to take in its majesty. It, it goes to Paul Heyman after his uh, after his hat fell off because Heyman with the hat on is kind of you know he's pretty cool. He's the badass you know, leader of ECW, he's invading Raw, he's got the big, you know, he's got the big long leather coat, Dreamer's there looking like a badass, Heyman's there with his cap on, as soon as that haircut comes off, he's about as cool as Hulk Hogan at that point. Because he's, <laughs> he's got a little bit of hair at the front, the world's hugest bald spot, long hair at the back, and it just, bless him, he's trying to obviously fight Lawler, which, you know, fair play for going after Jerry Lawler, but it was just so terrible, it was magnificent.
0: That's fair enough. So uh, technically Paul E. Dangerously at this point is getting your vote rather than uh, Paul Heyman, who's he? Uh, words, technicalities. Yeah, it's like the um, Sami Zayn El Generico.
1: <laughs> well, no, hang on, there. are definitely different people because El Generico died in that orphanage or something.
0: Exactly. Well, Paul e. Dangerously might have done as well. Was he helping run it? Possibly. I've, I've, well, I think he was in the accounts department. <laughs> In- that's, in- well, that's
1: why. That's why they
0: lost all <laughs> <Interesting> funding. Wrestling promotion. He <laughs> yeah. was he de- was doing deals with another orphanage. Haircut of the night. It's got to go to Brian Pillman for me. So much volume. Oh to yeah, it. yeah,
1: that was a beauty. It, Pillman nearly nearly got mine, but just I can't look past him. But yeah, as far as haircuts go, Pillman's is brilliant, and it's nice to see his son carrying on the uh, the family tradition.
0: Tradition. It's like Rene Goulet gave him the baton and he ran off with it. And his. Uh, I like to think up. he did. I like okay. to think he did. So, new award, sign of the night. What would you give sign of the night?
1: Right. Let me just have a quick look back. No, I don't need to look back. I know which one it's going to be. It's Loch Ness Fan Club. It's the one I brought up at the start. And it's not just cause it's one of the few I can remember. It's just, there's just layers to it. It's a, it's a shot at WCW and the Hokie shit they were pulling at one point. And it's a nod to, uh, to a British wrestler in giant haystacks. One of the biggest
0: draws in the history of wrestling. Yeah, absolutely. It, literally, no. li- literally and in terms of the money you drew. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, in, in terms of this show, we're talking about this show getting 2.2% of the audience. That's going to equate to three million ish.
1: Mm.
0: You know? Giant haystacks big daddy, we're talking eighteen million. So yeah, there's a lot of people in that Lot Ness fan club. Yeah. <laughs> yeah,
1: there is. It just so by that logic, Giant haystacks was six times the draw that uh that Stone Cold Steve Austin is at this point.
0: Well giant haystacks didn't have Billy Gunn pulling him down. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, he had, uh, he had the rest of the Dungeon of Doom. It's <laughs> <laughs> uh, fair enough. Yeah, I they should have put Rockabilly in the Dungeon of Doom. No, they should have just put it in a dungeon. Yeah. My Sign of the Night, and it's uh, Jerry Maguire inspired, and it's Show Me the Sonny.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Oh, God. I'd forgotten about that one. I forgot to write it down.
0: Um, uh, that actually made me laugh when I saw that. And, uh, I, I, you know, th- there were some great signs, as we've, uh, we've said. Th- there was one referencing Kafka. I mean, th- there was just levels on this show.
1: Yeah. The, the late 90s Monday Night Wars signs are like chants at a British wrestling show. You're going to get levels and depth to it that you just don't expect. But part of the reason I was laughing at at Show Me The Sunny is because I had a flashback to when I was a kid. And I can't remember which of my friends did this, but we were about seven or eight. And obviously, you know what a moony is, where you bare your ass at someone and show them the full moon. And I just had flashbacks the first time I, I saw someone do the opposite of that and do a sunny so you had the moony, which was getting your ass out, and there was a very brief period in my childhood where a couple of pe- a couple of kids, other kids that I knew, if somebody mooned someone, they'd just whip the dick out. Oh god, I've not—I'd I'd, repressed that memory, um, but it's back now and and shared with the world. <laughs> Thanks for that, Dan. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> <You're>
0: moving, <welcome. Welcome. laughs> moving swiftly on. So. How would you rate the show overall? I feel the worst.
1: Just looking at the uh, the rough breakdown on on the network, seeing seventeen segments and the longest match being, you know, the longest segment being eleven minutes fifty four, which was the uh, the Bulldog Gold Dust match, which we've not mentioned. Which, given our given this, this show's history of enjoying both characters' work, I was uh, I was quite disappointed by it, to be perfectly honest. Like I said in my uh, in my BSML I was pleasantly surprised with how well everything worked. Everything moved along at a fair clip. We got the matches were were all right. The storyline was the story. The story work and the promo work were probably the best we've seen. The promo work was incredible. Yeah, and that's uh, and the and the fans were as hot as we've seen them on Raw. And yeah, I'd say the rival, if not better, the uh, the one Nitro episode we've covered so far. So just to quickly break it down, the matches. We had two stinkers, a couple, I think couple, a couple of average and a couple of sixes. So the matches average out about five out of ten. The promo work, you've got the Foley promo, the Farouk promo, the Triple H promo, the Austin promo. <laughs> Admittedly, mostly because of Foley, that gets bumped up to a nine for me. Then yeah. that's the, I think that's the first nine I've given. The production stuff, I love the, the uptick in the pyro. I like the graphic style. The commentary was on point. I liked, you know, even even though Shamrock wasn't great, at it rolling in a third voice always helps. And I can't remember who else they had, but they did have. I'm sure they had another guest commentator at one, but Lala coming in um, and selling the uh, the mandible claw from the night before with a husky voice, I thought that was really good. So I put the production at um, a solid seven. The uh, the story work, I did not expect to see so many story threads advanced and moved along and and put across so well in an hour and a half's worth of television. They really did a fantastic job of of having a lot of story threads but keeping everything clear and saying, here's what's happening with this segment, moved to something else, oh, here's a callback, here's what's happening now. And the chop and change can often cause some confusion, but it really didn't here. Everything moved along at fair clip. It was easy to digest, easy to understand, got the point across, got things moving. So that, I've given my first nine out of ten. This is my uh, my second. So nine out of ten for the storyline. The fan response, best we've had so far from any crowd. I think wasn't perfect. Obviously, not going to be perfect throughout the show. No, no thing is. But you know, the lot they got lost in a, a couple of times. So I'd give that a seven. So overall, that averages out for me as my best
0: score so far of a seven out of ten. Seven out of ten. Well. You are mean, Dan. You're the best score so far, and it's a seven. Um, I'm going to give this a seven point five, which is exactly what we did give that episode of Nitro. And, uh, and as I've said before, this was on track to beat that. That this was going to be an eight, eight and a half, easily, easily. Billy Gunn killed it. And the last, if the show had been, <laughs> the show had been twenty minutes shorter, without the Burton switch and without Billy Gunn. You know, it was on track, but they, they brought it down. But aside from that, it was so much tighter than we've seen from Raw before. As you said, the production, the commentary, even the merchandising, you know. Yeah, everything. Yeah, there were a, there were a few bits that, you know, to, to a 2021 audience are a bit cringy, but this is night and day from some of the Raws we've watched. And from that last episode of Raw that we watched with Mags, that was oh, easily the worst episode wolf- we've watched. This is so much better. Yeah. Heading, heading in my direction. So you've given it a 7. I've given it a 7.5. The community vote on cage match has given it
1: 6.25. All right. Fair enough. A little bit lower than I... Uh, I, I, was all, I was all ready to call them rotten bastards, and I was like, I know no, 6.7 isn't that much lower. <laughs> 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 but,
0: yeah. I think they're being tight on that one. I, I really do, but...
1: It's at least a seven. It is at least a seven. Like you say, if this had been twenty minutes shorter, uh, or you know, if if they'd have just cut Rockabilly out and not had the bait and switch, we'd have been, we'd, we could have been, we'd have been looking at an eight or a nine.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and then you've got to think, how good would that um, Hollywood Blondes explode match been for the uh, main event?
1: Yeah. Yeah, but then. I can kind of, they're just coming off a pay-per-view where they've not resolved the feud. Are they looking at the next pay-per-view to resolve it? I can't remember what comes up next. But well, yeah, I'm, regardless of that, it was, it was still the best thing we've watched so far.
0: I mean, this was it. And obviously, they are keeping a lot of stuff in for the future. And the, the thing about this is, not only was it a great show, there's so much that's built for the future. You've still got the Austin Pillman thing. You, you've got what's going to happen with... Crush and Salvio, what's going to happen with the rest of the nation? You know, Triple H is off to the races, being king of the ring. You know, where is mankind going to go from all this? There's so, you know, so many questions being asked. And we discussed previously about either episodes sitting in a vacuum or feeling that you needed to see what was happening next week. Mm. And I think you really needed to see what's happening next week after this episode.
1: Yeah, Definitely. I'm, yeah, I'm left want, wanting to watch more. And the thing is, I've watched these episodes in within the last three, four years. Because yeah. it's there, it's showing me what I've watched on the network. And I remember going back watching them. And, and even now, it's such captivating TV and, and captivating wrestling. You know, yeah, the matches weren't the best, but as we've said before... And particularly from your standpoint, the least important part part of the wrestling is the wrestling.
0: I was going to say that when you said there was captivating TV, this is a great TV show. Forget that it's wrestling. This is a great TV show.
1: Yeah, well, wrestling wrestling's fifty percent soap opera. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. And in this case, you know, this this got a two point two. How hard were they having to work for ratings back then?
0: Well, that that that's a. And maybe that's it, that it's taken them a long time to get that faith from the audience back mm. because of some stuff that we've seen before. And yeah. we have we have seen some ropey stuff before. We, 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 you know, within that, we've seen some decent stuff. The episode that we reviewed three episodes ago that was a Raw episode, we, we genuinely enjoyed. But, yeah... No, it, it it feels like we're in a much better position with Raw, and um, yeah, I you
1: know, think I think previous I think previous Raws we, we've maybe enjoyed sort of in relative terms, and like either consciously or subconsciously, I, I've rated things as decent for the period, yeah, and thought yeah, oh, do you know what? For 1995, that wasn't bad, but it's because I know in the back, obviously, when that comes to the fore, it's just like I'm trying to judge it based on just based on what's presented to me but it's, it's it's never possible it's never possible to be 100% um is it subjective or objective which one's where you're completely neutral objective objective so i have been yeah these these ah time traveling taxis 5.7% that's the, that's the second weakest beer i've drank tonight brilliant that would explain a lot <laughs> <laughs> so yeah i've completely lost my thread now so you talk
0: well, we're going to have to wrap this up. Otherwise, I'll have to crack into a third beer before we finish. Um, <laughs> Fair enough. So, Dan, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at
1: DanGriffin21. Uh, as ever, usually tweeting wrestling that's uh, that's at least six weeks behind or my struggle to remember which which card I have to pull to open my blind on a morning. I also very occasionally take over the, uh, the UTT podcast Twitter account, and you can also find me uh, once a month on the 90s Wrestling Podcast pay-per-view reviews on at 90s Wrestling Pod.
0: Excellent. You can find me there as well, with Jameson Max. We've, in real times, although this will be out by the time uh, this episode drops, so go back in the archives and check, but we've got the WrestleMania 8 review coming up shortly. Um, I think I'm the only one of the uh, team that's watched that so far, so... (laughs) You've, you've got some interesting times ahead. Uh, so we, we call him proactive, Rob. Yeah. Uh, the ancient curse may live in interesting times. You can find me again, as um, Dan said, on the UTT podcast Twitter. And at UTT Rob, I'm more than happy to follow back. It's uh, more about mutuals than it is about followers. So please follow me there. So next week we're going to move on, and it's going to be Jim Carnett and Vince Russo's highest rated episode so we had a really good episode here on the lowest rated episode let's hope that trend continues i really hope it does i'm bloody excited to watch the next one after this and it's only sort of six weeks away from this episode so it's going to be pretty much within this time frame so if it is a bad episode we're going to be thinking you know what the hell went on but it it, you know really optimistic about it
1: same i can't wait for another austin pillman bait and switch.
0: We'll have to see. We'll have to see with the the future. Thanks for listening.
1: That I love. You see, I feel just like
0: every other person. You
1: see that? It hurts. Is it when I can't get up? When my little boy says, Daddy, I want to play ball. And I can't do it? Is that where the fun starts? Is it where a doctor injects a 12-inch needle into the discs in my spine so I can wrestle one more day? Whoopee! Let the party begin. I can't believe you sit here and ask me those questions. Do I bring it on to myself? I haven't done a damn thing to you. All you've done to people is mislead them and let them think that I'm having the time of my God of life when I'm in pain.